You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Lucinda Lonick. This is the WFHB Local News 4, September 30th, 2021. Later in the program, we have a new edition of Prescription for Healthcare, a monthly podcast collaboration between WFHB and Medicare for All. More in the bottom half of tonight's show. Also coming up in the next half hour, on Tuesday, Beacon Incorporated hosted a memorial vigil for people experiencing homelessness who have lost their lives in the last year. More in today's headlines. But first, your State House Roundup. From WFHB, this is the State House Roundup for Thursday, September 30th, 2021. I'm Emily McCoy. Last week on September 23rd, State Representative Carrie Hamilton made a statement regarding the new redistricting maps that were brought forward earlier this month. Representative Hamilton advised members of the House to vote against the proposed maps as Hamilton stated, quote, These maps are among the most gerrymandered in the history of our nation, and if signed into law will disenfranchise Hoosier voters, urban, rural, Republicans, and Democrats alike." Hamilton proposed that the redistricting maps that were presented should be fully discarded and the process should be restarted. This month, there have been a few updates to the Monroe County Annexation Plan. Earlier this month, the Bloomington City Council voted and approved Area 1A to be annexed into the City of Bloomington. Members of the City Council that voted against the annexation were Dave Rollo, Ron Smith, and Susan Sandberg. Rollo commented in his statement that the reason he voted against the annexation was due to its involuntary implementation. Rollo further went on to point out how the recently annexed area is home to many elderly residents with low income. Quote, It could have been a voluntary process. It could have been recorded. It could have included more engagement, and it could have happened at a time post-pandemic. End quote. A sentiment by which was also brought up by other residents who were also concerned about the financial ramifications of the annexation. Since then, the City Council has voted for seven of the eight areas to be annexed. That's all for the State House Roundup. For WFHB News, I'm Emily McCoy. At the Bloomington Board of Park Commissioners meeting on September 28th, the board approved a contract with E&B Paving for the Griffey Lake Loop Trail project and accessible fishing pier construction. 
Operations and Development Division Director Tim Street announced the Griffey Lake Loop Project's final design and explained what the project intends to accomplish. The main purpose is to create uh, a safe walking connection between the north side of Griffey and the south side of Griffey, where there are trails on both sides. Uh, and so if you, yes, thank you, Kim. Um, the, the green area here is going to be the project area. And so what this project will do is it will construct um, more land on the west side of the causeway, which is Headley Road, uh, and will build a separated trail uh, along the road from north to south uh, with a guardrail in between. Um, this is really great for us because it's going to allow us to have pedestrians have access to both the north and south sides of the trail. Um, which will enable looping the trails uh, with some further improvements that we're going to make elsewhere in the trail system. Bloomington resident Greg Alexander made a public comment pointing out that the Bicentennial Bond approved funding for a section of the project that, due to budget reasons, the official design does not include anymore. Director Paula McDevitt responded to the comment, reassuring the board that the design changes have been approved and explained why the changes were made. Um, well, what I can tell you is that this project has been reviewed by our legal department and the controller's office and for how it's uh, being funded. And when the bond, um, bicentennial bond um, were approved, that was, um, you know, in concept um, to look at the Griffey Loop Trail. And as with most projects, when you get into the weeds and the actual um, project and what's possible and, and what's affordable to do, um, these details then get flushed out this way. The construction contract was approved unanimously. The next meeting will be held on October 19th. At least 32 experiencing homelessness have died in the surrounding community over the last year. Last night, community organisation Beacon Incorporated hosted a memorial vigil to honour the lives lost. We turn to Cade Young and Noelle Hahusky-Schneider for more. On Tuesday, at the Monroe County Courthouse, local anti-poverty organization Beacon Incorporated hosted the 18th annual memorial vigil for community members who have passed away this year while experiencing homelessness. Organizers say the vigil was a part of a national movement to protest the tragedy of homelessness and to memorialize the lives lost. Carney Strange, a volunteer at Beacon Inc., said he attended the vigil to recognize the individual names of those who died. Tonight is about uh, gathering together and memorializing people uh, who have no voice in our society and to recognize them by individual names, who they are, and that they were present here in our community in very difficult circumstances. Um, and so we, we can't forget them. Executive Director of Beacon Inc., Forrest Gilmore, said in his speech that it's been a hard year surrounded by loss. Just the sheer loss this year 
has been profound and deep and significant. And um, it's just been a really, really hard, hard year uh, for, for so many of us. We've lost loved ones um, and have been in the presence of loss in such an intense way. Monroe County Commissioner Penny Githens touched on the need for permanent housing in the community. One of the many things I've learned from the folks at Beacon is the importance of housing and the many positive things that come from having a home. With that in mind, let us also remember people who are still in need of permanent housing, people who need access to health care, social services, a stable job, nutritious food, and transportation. State Senator Shelley Yoder said that there are common-sense policies that she hopes to enact in order to provide adequate housing in the community. I take a moment to remember, to remember the community I am representing, to remember all who, whose voices I am being asked to represent, to serve, and it is in this remembering tonight as I look across this lawn, I think about the intensity that we must bring to honoring the lives that we lost. As Commissioner Giffins shared, there is much we can do with policy. We can work to remove evictions from people's records so they stand a chance at housing. We can do the bare minimum to give people access to their screening report as to why they were refused housing to begin with. These are common sense legislative solutions. One of the 32 names memorialized at the event was Melanie Kilberry. Her sister, mother, and daughter attended the vigil. Her sister said a few words in her honor. Um, we're here today to honor my sister, Melanie Kilberry. Uh, this is her mom, Debbie, her daughter, Megan. Melanie was a really beautiful person inside and out. She was very kind. Uh, she was 48 years old when she passed away in July. She leaves behind three children, seven grandchildren, and a hole in our heart that will never be filled because of her passing. If there's anything that we want you to take away from today is to love yourself and forgive yourself. Life is way too short. Thank you. Robert, also known as Pops Downham, who works as a cook and a volunteer for Beacon Inc. and has experienced homelessness himself, considers the people who work for Beacon and who rely on Beacon for support his family. I got more community. I got family here. The 32 names were read out loud while volunteers placed the signs with the individual names in the grass and acknowledged the names of those who did not make it to the list. People who attended placed candles beside the signs to pay their respects. For WFHB, I'm Cade Young. And I'm Noel Hereski Schneider. Oh, 
Now it's time for Prescription for Healthcare, a monthly podcast collaboration between WFHB and Medicare for All Indiana. Our guest today is Dr. Ed Weisbart, a retired family physician from St. Louis and chair of the Missouri Chapter of Physicians for a National Health Program. We turn to hosts Dr. Rob Stone and Karen Green-Stone for the September edition of Prescription for Healthcare. From Bloomington, Indiana, welcome to Prescription for Healthcare on WFHB Community Radio, sponsored by Medicare for All Indiana. I'm Karen Greenstone, along with Dr. Rob Stone. Hello. In this segment of Prescription for Healthcare, we are recording a new show with Dr. Ed Weisbart, who discovered some errors from our segment on September 9th. Since that broadcast, Dr. Weisbart has participated in a webinar sponsored by Physicians for a National Health Program titled Direct Contracting Entities, DCEs, Handing Medicare to Wall Street. Dr. Weisbart is a retired family physician from St. Louis and is chair of the Missouri Chapter of Physicians for a National Health Program. He lectures around the country on the problems and inequalities of our healthcare system and the need for single-payer Medicare for all. Dr. Weisbart was recently in Bloomington and Indianapolis giving presentations to medical students. Welcome back to Prescription for Healthcare, Dr. Weisbart. Why, thank you. Always nice to see you too. Tell us what you discovered since we spoke to you in early September. When we spoke, we said that it came as a great surprise to us recently to hear that in 2020, the Trump administration launched a new experiment with CMS, the Center for Medicare Services, that is designed to privatize traditional Medicare. You recently participated in the webinar, Direct Contracting Entities, DCEs, Handing Medicare to Wall Street. Will you please tell us what you know about DCEs? We don't understand the point of it, and why should we all be concerned? I think it's really clear that DCEs are a direct frontal assault on traditional Medicare, and that if we healthcare advocates don't nip it in the bud uh, right now, that this can be yet another way to essentially transform Medicare the Medicare that we know and love from a, a public health program that has rescued seniors from illness and from premature death and from poverty for really two generations now. It's been more than 50 years. Uh, so Medicare is that program today, publicly funded, publicly delivered, delivered privately, but publicly operated. And DCEs are a way to essentially end that. Uh, direct contracting entities would interpose corporate interests directly in between the Medicare program that we know and love and the physicians and hospitals that we go to for healthcare. So today, Medicare, traditional Medicare, directly contracts with physicians and hospitals and directly pays physicians and hospitals. They may have administrators that they manage external, but they are the direct payment. There's nobody really in between us. And the commercial for-profit venture capital and private equity firms and, and, and a handful of insurance companies have recognized that 60% of Medicare members are not in anything that they have their hands on. So 60 most Medicare members today have good old-fashioned Medicare and the commercial interests have said, hey, we want a piece of that action. And so they, working with the Trump administration, started this new program 
where instead of Medicare paying the doctors and hospitals directly, that money will go directly to these new private enterprises, is starting to go to these new private enterprises, who then pay the doctors and hospitals. It's a bit different from the way I described it a couple of weeks ago and from what I thought it was a couple of weeks ago in that even if you're in, even if you've been put in without your knowledge, and if you've been put into one of these direct contracting entities, you retain the full benefit design of traditional Medicare. You can still go, even if you've gotten, even if you've been popped into one of these direct contract entities, you can still go to any Medicare doctor or hospital anywhere in the country. So it's not that your choice of where to go for healthcare is being impacted, which is what I mis mistakenly represented, because uh, I thought that was true. It, what it is that there's this new avenue for somebody to get in the middle of that. And the only reason they want to do that, of course, is because they see an opportunity to make a profit, increasing the complexity. As uh, Dixon, one of our great PNHP staff folks recently said, nobody, literally nobody, is asking for the healthcare system to become more complicated. Nobody wants that. Um, unless, of course, you might add to that is unless, of course, you want to hide something. You want to find some way to profiteer or to make money. We know the right way to set up healthcare finance. And that's take Medicare as it exists, the traditional Medicare, good old-fashioned Medicare, fix the handful of things that, that are need to be strengthened, and then make that available to everybody in the country. We do not need to impose another corporate intermediary between Medicare and America. We just don't need that. So can you talk a little bit about that other 40% of Medicare people now who are part of Medicare Advantage? That's important. There are essentially two flavors of Medicare today. There's good old-fashioned traditional original Medicare, which I just described. And then starting a couple of decades ago, this other program emerged as the, the first major corporate assault on Medicare, which is called Medicare Advantage. So in Medicare Advantage, if you've opted into a Medicare Advantage program, the Medicare program itself will no longer be paying your doctor or your hospital. Instead, the Medicare program gives money every month to an insurance company, a Medicare Advantage insurance company. And then you have the equivalent of old employer-based restrictive, typically insurance companies. And then that Medicare Advantage insurance company has the relationship with doctors and hospitals. One of the worst things about Medicare Advantage, of course, is that they have a big voice in where and how you get your care. You typically do not have access to every doctor and hospital. You have to go to the Medicare Advantage contracted network of physicians, which is almost invariably fewer, fewer choices. And we know that Medicare Advantage programs, so number one, they take away some of your choice. Number two, we know that they cost the country more and number three, we know that there's no evidence, if you ask me, that they improve quality. They don't make healthcare better. We pay them more and they take away our choice. Why do we have it? Because it's a profit-centered industry that uh, has we've allowed to get their nose in the door. And yeah, they we it's not a great design. Again, more complexity. So Dr. Weisbart, what should we do to protect and expand the traditional Medicare? Well, that's the key, isn't it? I care about making sure everybody in the country can go get the healthcare that they want that's high quality and not have to go bankrupt. That's what I care about. And I happen to believe the best way to do that, according to the evidence, is to do something much like what every other country does, which is take a program like Medicare and fix it and give it to everybody. So that's what we should do. We should pass the bills that propose that, H.R. 1976, for example, would accomplish that. But along the road to that, we could do that literally tomorrow if we just simply 
had the vote. But along the road to that, the most important thing is that we are under the that program that we want to build on is under attack. So what we should do is number one, thwart those attacks like we were talking about. But secondly, we should strengthen the Medicare program. The Medicare program is not competing as well as we wanted to. So the first key thing we need to do with traditional Medicare to make it more attractive and stabilize it is get rid of out-of-pocket expenses. Get rid of out-of-pocket expenses. The, the Medicare Advantage program offers you a limit to how much your out-of-pocket expenses can be. In traditional Medicare, there is no limit to that. And so most folks who uh, are in traditional Medicare, if they can, they purchase a gap policy, a supplemental policy to the Medicare so that they don't have to deal with these outrageous uh, uh, co-pays and co-insurances and deductibles and all that stuff. So the first thing we need to do is to get rid of the out-of-pocket expenses or at least greatly limit the out-of-pocket expenses for people in traditional Medicare. And then you wouldn't have to be quite as focused on, do I buy a gap policy? Do I not buy one? So that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing uh, is to increase the benefit design of, of Medicare, traditional Medicare. So that's that means adding in things that most Americans agree people should have access to. Dentistry. My gosh, you know, you we want grandma to have teeth. <laughs> it's important. Dentistry, eyeglasses. We don't want people not to be able to see hearing aids. There's a, a short handful of these things. Those are probably the three most um, critical ones. So hearing, vision, and dentistry. Add that in to uh, traditional Medicare. Now, of interest, as of at least today, September 25th, 2021, those two changes, or the benefit design at least piece, is currently being pursued by the Democratic Party. So there is legislation being proposed or being constructed that would fix the benefit design in the ways that I just described. We need to add to that decreasing or eliminating out-of-pocket expenses. Those are the two of three critical things we need to do. The third thing is we need to stop advantaging advantage. <laughs> we need to stop giving Medicare Advantage an advantage over regular Medicare. And we are today, statutorily, legislatively, paying Medicare Advantage insurance companies more for the exact same person than we would for that person if they were in traditional Medicare. The law today compels the federal government to pay the insurance companies more for the exact same person in Medicare Advantage than they do in, in old-fashioned traditional Medicare. And that's how the Medicare Advantage programs are able to grow because they can use that to lower or eliminate their premiums. So let's do those things. Let's eliminate or certainly decrease out-of-pocket expenses. Let's improve the benefit design to cover hearing, vision, and copay, and stop advantaging advantage. Those three things, I think, would really stabilize the traditional Medicare program and help us make it grow. Sounds like we need a, a letter-writing campaign. Yes, we do. Um, <laughs> yes, we do. There's a petition up, actually, on the PNHP website uh, to, to speak out against direct contracting entities. So... If you go to pnhp.org, you'll find the petition to, to stop this Medicare DCE program. And now is the time to do that, right? It's still in the pilot project phase. It's not rolled out on a big scale. It's happening. I mean, Indiana University, for example, has already started uh, recruiting patients into their DCE. So it's alive, but it's small and curtailed. Now is the time to try to really nip it in the bud. If we let it grow, much as we as has happened with Medicare Advantage, it'll be much more difficult. So now is the time to stop direct contracting entities from, from happening. That's, I think, the initial primary focus we should be on. Dr. Weisbart, thank you so much for joining us today. This is Karen Greenstone and Dr. Rob Stone for Prescription for Healthcare on WFHB Community Radio, sponsored by Medicare for All Indiana.
Thank you again, Dr. Weisbart. <laughs> so much. It's always such a pleasure to see you guys. To your good health, everyone. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Emily McCoy, Cade Young, and Noel Hahusky Schneider in partnership with Cats Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Dr. Rob Stone and Karen Greenstone. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Benedict Jones. And I'm Lucinda Larnock. Thank you for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at wfhb.org. You can be a part of our award-winning news team. For more information about joining our volunteer team of citizen journalists, email news at wfhb.org. Stay tuned for Big Talk with Michael Glab coming up next on WFHB Community Radio. WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 